So this morning we're doing a, a Vision Sunday, and a Vision Sunday is really an opportunity to talk about what it is we're, we're building here, what it is we're building here, and why we're building it, and how we're building it, because there's a kind of call for us to rise up and build together, because God is about a great work in this church and churches around here to glorify Jesus. So every time we get a promise from God, a prophetic word from God, it comes in seed form and it's really small and it's often very insignificant and it looks tiny. It's just a promise. It's just an acorn. It's just something that inside it has capacity to grow and develop and multiply and become something huge. It's like a acorn that can then grow and become a mighty oak that can actually cause many other trees to rise up. And I want to talk about this morning really our story as a local church and I want to talk about prophetic promises and I want to talk about things that have come in seed form to us. I want to talk about acorns that we've got and things that are growing amongst us and I want to weave into this story some aspects of, of my story and Rochelle's story, not because this is all about us, but the story of this church is a longer story than us. It goes right back to the 1980s. It goes right back to a whole bunch of people who had an encounter with Holy Spirit. It goes back to a whole bunch of people who discovered that Holy Spirit wants to give gifts now and work now. And it, it goes back to Tim and Katrina who have been here, right, getting this building and there's a whole load of us who have been of, are here who have been right in the beginning of this story. Actually, this story goes back well beyond the 80s. It actually goes back thousands of years. It goes back to Jesus, who for the joy set before him, looked at Plumstead and said, I want Plumstead. You know, he looked at the people of an area and said, I want that area. It goes back to the beginning of the early church and the pouring out of Pentecost and Jesus' heart that says, I've... I've come that you might go and make disciples of all nations, and that included us in Europe. So it's a big story, and it's not just our story, but I want to tell parts of our story just to help us understand the big story of what we're part of right now. Remember when Rochelle and I got married, we met with a man called David Pike and did some marriage prep, and David asked us the question, what are you called to? And we we were about to get married and the only thing we could say was we're called to the nations. We had no other understanding of what that would mean and where that would take us. It was, it was a seed, it was an acorn, it was a tiny thought as we got married, France and the UK getting married in that sense. There was nations, but they had, there was already nations in us before we'd even met. <clears throat> Rochelle would say herself, a missionary call. God said to her, one day you're going to cross the Jordan, not knowing that crossing the Jordan meant crossing the channel. We had nations in us. And so we just said, nations. And we then stayed in our local church for eight years with this call to the nations. And what we were doing is we just had this seed and we thought one day we're going to the nations. So we would save our money every month because <laughs> we're going to the nations. We'd give money to the local church and the mission, the vision of where we were going. But we'd also try and pay our mortgage off as quick as we could and we put money into a saving account and because we thought we're going somewhere we're going to the nations and eight years later 
we had a prophetic word and it was a prophetic word that was based on the book of Acts, you know, where it says, separate for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. And God opened up a call to us to go to Denmark. And amazingly, providentially, incredibly, through a whole load of circumstances and Rochelle's maternity leave money and lots of kind of like um, redundancy pay and the stuff that we had saved, we went to Denmark and we had £30,000 saved. Amazing. I don't know how we got it, but we had £30,000 in the bank and we were moving to Denmark because God had said, I'm calling you to the nations. We didn't have a job. We didn't have a house. We had a room that we can rent. And I know some of you guys have done this and are doing this and know about this. And we arrived not knowing the language, not knowing the culture, not knowing anything. But I remember when the boat arrived in Espier, we had a baby, not even a year old, in a car full of all the stuff to live for the first few months. We were arriving in the nations and I was absolutely petrified <laughs> when it arrived. And we landed and we drove across Denmark thinking, I don't know what we have done. You know, prophetic comes in seed form and is absolutely terrifying at times. And you think, oh God, we haven't got a job. We haven't got a house. We've got 30,000 in the bank. That's all we've got. And the money from the house. Amazingly, God made a way. She got a good job. Eventually, I got a one day a week with the church. We were doing lots of different things. And, but we went to the nations and served a church there for two years that was... 77% of the people in the church were from the Philippines, and there were people from America, Iran, there's all over the world, all over the nations were in this place, in this capital city. And then God said, I've also called you to lead and pioneer. And so we went back to the UK because we thought, yeah, we've still got this heart for the nations, but we need to learn how to lead in our, at least in our own culture, in, our own, in a context where we know the language. We moved to a little place in Essex and we moved there believing there were 40 people there. Then we thought maybe there's only 27. And then we found out there's really only about 14 there. And we went to this little place and it began to grow. And on one Sunday we had 22 people and 11 nations, different nations. Like someone said, you're just magnets for nations. And, and, then, and then God got our attention about London through a whole host of different circumstances and situations. And we heard this phrase, there's an existing church in a community that will be transformed so it will impact the community. And we came and loved you guys and loved this area and loved the reality nations <laughs> promise from 20 something years ago nations and, and and people from all around the world and this dream that we could be a community of nations because jesus's majesty and magnificence and wisdom is shown off in the diversity of culture that it's not just one culture who says Jesus is wonderful. It's every culture says he's wonderful and loves him and express their devotion and love with the uniqueness of their language and customs and culture, showing the worth of Jesus, that he's a universally wonderful person, not just a monocultural person. And then you could, the dream of being a new man in Christ and nations all loving Jesus together. I love that, this dream that we're part of here, of not just 
one culture, one nation, one tongue, but a multitude who together are learning to represent Jesus well together. And so coming here was that sense of, well, to be in a great city, one of the great cities of the world, to come to one of the most culturally diverse areas on the planet, that Jesus could be glorified here amongst all the peoples and amongst all the tribe, tongues and languages. And then when we we came, prophetic words began to come to us about, as a community, as a church, through, 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 through prophets like, I've called you to carry buckets of the presence of God into your community. To, to, that each of us could be carriers of the, of the presence of God to bring that wherever we are. There were words like percolating out and overflowing out into the community, the presence of God. And so it became this thing of this dream that it wasn't just about creating a just a local church that gathered and had the diversity of nations, that this thing, this calling had to overflow into the diversity of our culture and begin to impact and radically touch the people around us. And so we've, we've, like I've said, this story goes back, not to just our story, but our story is that for nine years we've been asking the question, how does this percolate out? How does this overflow? How does this get out there into the community? How is this going to happen, God? And then one of the great prophetic words that God gave us was, if you want SC18, you can have it. Or another way of saying that, because not everybody lives in SC18, if you want this region, you can have it. If you want this region, you can have it. If you want this area, you can have it. If you want this area that constitutes at least 90-something thousand people, you can have it. That God wants us to have it. That God wants every corner of this region. And that's why that Graham Cook prophetic word gripped us so powerfully, because it resonated with our history and our story and our calling. And God wants every corner and every problem and every difficulty and every battle in this region because he wants to see Jesus glorified in our area. And one of the big questions is how does this happen? How does this happen? How do you become a people who are so transformed and so radically different that you overflow and bring transformation? And one of the absolute keys and revelations that came to us as a community was the importance of the person and the work of Holy Spirit, that it's the presence of Holy Spirit that makes this possible. It's the presence of God amongst us it's the enjoyment of the presence of God that how do we overflow well we learn how to get full all week and we learn that there's something unique that happens when we come together we sing a lot you know we worship a lot and that's actually intentional because we learn something. Rochelle learns something. The band learns something. Other people learn something. That transformation happens in the presence of God. Not just on Sunday, but the valuing of the person, the work of Holy Spirit all week. There's something that happens in worship that glorifies and exalts him. And there's something that happens that's transformatory in the presence of God. And there's something that happens in the presence of God when a community comes together to worship together and brings all their encounters together. I didn't always used to think like that. 
didn't always used to see things like that. I, I was the guy at the conference, if you went to a big conference as a big speaker, yeah, I was the guy at the conference would be get the worship over, get the teaching, I've come for the teaching. That was me. Yeah, I would love God. I loved, I, I loved God. But I, I didn't want to worship. I wanted to get to the good stuff. Someone stand there and tell me something. And I was in a meeting in Bethel, Redding, California, where Bill Johnson leads. So that I'm there, and I'm just impacted immediately by these people who are seeing the most incredible miracles and presence of God. They just love God. <laughs> I mean, I, I was struck by it from the moment I got there because I'd been listening to the teaching on podcast for four years previously. And I didn't get the worship on the podcast. But I got there and on the first night, Friday night, I wrote in my journal, these people just love God. And so I'm in this room a lot of people who just love God. I mean, really, really, really love God. Like, 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 like we love God here. And we, we're, we're, we're becoming those kind of crazy people. <laughs> we're, we're, that's where we're going increasingly because we're just falling in love. Lovers are crazy. These people just love God. And so I'm in this room. Believe it or not, in this corner of the room, as I'm looking, a whole cloud of gold appears and starts to swirl around. So I'm looking at that. Uh, what's that? It's growing, it's getting bigger. What are they doing? They're just loving God. <laughs> Worshipping God. Not for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, for three hours, loving God. Not even, they're, love, they're, they're enjoying the moment of a supernatural revelation of presence but that, does, that just was like fuel on the fire to their already passionate devotion to God. So they, they, they sang for three and a half hours. I think they might have sang longer. We, we went after three hours. So I'm in this meeting. And someone prays for me. And I have an encounter with God in which I, I think I'm like literally experiencing like electrocution. And I'm wondering in the moment, am I going to die? <laughs> because he's, he is so powerfully moving. And that goes on, and the guy who's praying for me says, leave him alone. I, I got up and I was a worshipper. Like, that's eight years ago. God did something in me where I got it, where I was beginning to get it. Like, there were things, like I was singing in the street like when I, when I, like when I was first a new believer, in constantly having worship in my ears, wanting to learn how to just enjoy and praise him and not worry out loud in prayer, just devote and enjoy Because something happens in the presence of God. Something happens when we encounter him. So if we're asking, how is this going to percolate out 
and touch a community is as a whole load of people simply believe that the greatest and most wonderful thing in the universe is to love and enjoy and value him and who will then percolate out and overflow that the nearer and closer we get to God the more free we become the more close you get to God the more wonderfully liberated you become and so you might think what does that mean for me, I think Fiola said it when she talked in her talk in about Coffee with Jesus, that transition that she made from, are you going to be an observer or are you going to be a participant? That's an action that we can take. We can say, you know what, I'm not going to be an observer of people falling in love with the King of Glory. I'm, I'm going to go on a journey of becoming a participant. I'm going to grow in that. I'm going to learn how to worship. I'm going to learn to be in his presence. And in his presence, I'm going to believe he's going to ignite an unquenchable fire that's going to overflow and wreck me and ruin me and overflow to touch my family, my street, my household, my area, my work. I'm not just going to observe. How valuing our times together on Sunday, valuing how needed you really are, valuing things like encounter nights, those kind of opportunities where we get to hang out and be with Jesus. So that's a how, through delight and the presence of God. Another how to what we're building is, there was a, there was a shift in our emphasis as leaders. There was a shift of emphasis in our leadership. I remember as a, as a 10-year-old um, being on the chip rotor at school, now, when we had school dinners, we didn't go to a hatch. The food came to our table and there was somebody called the chip monitor, fried potato monitor. And you know that fried potato chips are like gold dust in this country. Yeah, we don't we we don't value chip shops by how good they are. It's about quantity. That's how we rate chip shops. Well, how big's the bag of chips we go away with? That's how we do it. That's why sometimes there's some quite poor chip shops who have big bags of chips. But I wanted to be a chip monitor because I'd noticed that the chip monitor often gave themselves the biggest portion of chips. <laughs> and the rest of us got hardly anything. So I thought, when I'm chip monitor, like when I'm prime minister, <laughs> when I'm chip monitor, everybody will get a fair pe- portion of chips. The trouble is, when I became chip monitor, I'm not always very good at measuring, so everybody got chips apart from me. (laughs) The point of it was, there was something in me as an 11-year-old non-believer that wanted it to be fair and wanted generosity and didn't want some people using their position of power to not be generous to the people around them. Then there was a prophetic word that I received while in a prayer meeting with Joan Gowan, and uh, in 1997, where God suddenly said out of nowhere, I've called you to be a gold digger. I've called you to look for the gold in people. And when you see the gold, to shout out, there's gold in those hills. And so there's kind of that sense of a story of, I want it to be fair. And I, and I think I came here and found that spirit here as well, that attitude in Tim. I found that here already. I want it to be fair. I want people to be empowered and released to do the things that God has called them to do. That calling of looking for the gold. 
And so to do that, we realised we had to build intentionally according to the model that Jesus had outlined in Ephesians 4, that the gifts that he gave to the church of apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, were there to equip people to do the work of ministry. That the gifts that Jesus gives were not to do all the work of ministry, but to empower other people, to give other people a fair portion of chips, as it were, to empower them and equip them with the chips, to empower and equip them with a revelation, you carry gold and you're a giant in the faith, so that they could do the work of ministry. That that was a revelation to us that, re- that, that church isn't built around serving the gifts of apostle, pastor, teacher and evangelist. That the revelation was that, that these gifts are in the body to activate and empower the body to do the stuff and transform the world in which they live. And for the body to work properly, the gifts are bouncing off one another and supplying the grace for one another to be able to get on with the work of growing in maturity. That Jesus actually wanted a church where everybody got to play. That when Jesus took his 12, he was apprenticing them, he was training them, he was discipling them because his expectation was that they would go on and do the things that he was doing. So when Mary's sitting at his feet listening, it's not just she's getting some theoretical knowledge. The expectation is she's listening and hearing because she's going to do what Jesus has been doing. That's the expectation of an apprentice. Rob and Joe have apprentices in their business who are plumbers. There's an expectation that they're going to be plumbers. That's the deal. I'm training you. I'm equipping you. I'm telling you how so that one day you will do. That's what the Ephesians 4 gifts are about. That everybody's equipped and encouraged to heal the sick, raise the dead, prophesy life, and disciple their neighbour. You lead your neighbour to Christ, we need to make sure that you are equipped and trained to disciple your neighbour in what Jesus taught and in what Jesus said so that person can grow and become a mature person. Yeah, connect them to local church, but also that your birthright as well is to equip them and train them. So there's a whole load of that going on here. And the danger is, as I start to tell you the stuff that's going on here, I could miss somebody out. So if I do, I'm really sorry. But we're believing for big people who do big works. So a couple in a house begin to meet, not because a leader told them to, but because they want to share the gospel with some people. Just meeting in a house outgrow the house so they want to borrow a room an orange room so we can get more people in outgrow it and we say why don't we do it in the afternoon in here then and John and Hector and others then see last year after Nepalese Sunday family come to Christ and a man just before he dies comes to know Jesus and get baptised in his house not because of a bright idea a leadership team had but because a couple just thought you know what I want the gospel to go out and this is what we're going to do. Another person just develops in their own private relationship with Jesus. No big plans. This is how I'm engaging with Jesus. Finding, I'm hearing his voice, I'm getting refreshment, I'm encountering him. Becomes coffee with Jesus. 
And a bunch of people start to gather and connect to Jesus and hear his voice because hearing his voice is their birthright. Nobody sat in a leadership meeting and said, you know what? I've got this idea. It's called coffee with Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Body just doing. Getting ideas and experimenting and out of the overflow bringing it. Other things like somebody discovers some keys of getting out of debt. Wow, this is working. Getting out of debt. Got some keys here. Other people in work start asking, other people out there, overflow, start asking how. Start to do it with them and start to do it here. It's Tracy. Pam just likes to laugh. (laughs) (laughs) There's a whole bunch of people once a month laughing together. (laughs) Hearing lies, laughing at lies. People who love books and people are gathering to connect and talk about books. People who love prayer and just gathering a bunch of people who pray. There's Sozo. There's hospitality. Going out there with Jug, Christine, serving people. It's family. This is, how, this is our home. You're welcome. Going to love you, serve you. Tim, Katrina and youth and trustees and other people, loving Plumstead. There's a whole load of things that didn't come from this idea of a leader above a body telling a body what to do, but came out of the body and their own encounters with Jesus. And then and sometimes the body then bounces off the body and says, what about doing a Nepalese Sunday? What about if we could do a Nepalese Sunday? Do it in a mix of Nepalese and English. We could invite people in. They could hear the gospel. That guy comes, gets saved, as that community loves on that guy. We're doing it again the first week in November. But it's bouncing off. There's life in the body. Another aspect of how was this idea that what if we built... What if church was like a greenhouse? Like, you know a greenhouse, you can grow things all year round. doesn't matter what the weather is like out there, how cold it is. You can grow it all year round. So we began to understand that the church is to be a greenhouse where good things grow. That leadership responsibility is fundamentally about making sure that the soil and the environment is a place where good things can grow. That's the fundamental role of leadership, is to look after the boundaries of of, of a culture so that we're protecting the culture. It's to make sure that the soil is healthy so that good things can grow and looking out for the rocks and the weeds and the things that can come in and stop growth. That's the role of leadership. Creating a world where good things can grow. And this is an aspect, a great expression of building a greenhouse. Because out there, there's hopelessness and despair and battles and chaos. And people don't know up from down. In here is an environment, a greenhouse where there's hope and there's joy and there's solutions and there's identity. It contrasts with the surrounding area. Our region Our area has a message which says it won't work here, it doesn't matter here, and there's not enough anyway to do it here. That's the message in our area, a message of hopelessness. And the message of the kingdom is 
Jesus paid for this area. Jesus wants every corner of this area. Jesus wants every problem in this area. Jesus wants every battle in this area. Jesus wants every difficulty in this area because the king has provision, has resources, has solutions for this area through us. So we began to understand that the most important thing is to have a culture, to have an environment where the thing we go after most of all is the beliefs of the saints. So for too long, the leadership priority has been to tell the saints what to do, tell them how to think. But actually, the priority of leadership is to bring a temperature rise in our believing so that we provoke one another to higher beliefs, so that we become believing believers who actually believe, so that we become not just thermometers of the temperature. You know, it's easy to measure the temperature. It's cold out there. Loads of unbelief, loads of chaos and loads of brokenness. It's easy to measure the temperature, but we're called to set the temperature through an overflow in our beliefs. The temperature is always right for growth inside the greenhouse. That's why we go after joy, because there's not a lot of joy out there. That's why we go after hope, because there's not a lot of hope out there. That's why we go for generosity. There is enough. There is a way. There is a solution. So that... The greenhouse is distinctive and unique and it shines out light. Another how, we're almost there. Another how is we understood that the church is not to be a hideaway, a bunker from the big, bad, ugly world. Sometimes the understanding has been the world is so broken and so chaotic and evil that we huddle together in the church away from the big bad world. Actually, what flows into a place has to flow out, otherwise it becomes dirty and diseased and a, a swamp. It's what happens if a river flows into an area and just sits there, it dies Wanda said, no, the church isn't a bunker to hide away from. We are the hope of the world. We are the solution for the chaos. We're the ones who are going out there to carry revelation and wisdom and answers to the people around us. Another how to how that happens is that focus upon identity. The identity, believing who we are in Christ, believing that we're royalty, believing that we're a royal priesthood, believing that we're sons and daughters, that all sustainable outflow to the world is birthed in our identity, not our performance. That we're not called to act, as Wendy Backland says, to act like Jesus, to try to pretend to be Jesus. We're called to believe like Jesus and do the things that Jesus has called us to do. It's identity that causes, causes us to see giants as possibilities for God's kingdom. As one person said, anxiety is incredibly contagious, but so is peace. And finally, the why. Why do we do all this? We told you what we're doing. We're going, going for nations. We're doing it through delight and through presence. We're building a leadership emphasis 
intentionally building a culture that empowers people to do great things. We're building a greenhouse, not a bunker to hide away in. We recognize it's through identity that it happens, not through performance and trying harder. The why, that the wonders and majesty of who God really is would go public through our lives and through who we are. The ultimate part, the ultimate reason for why we do what we do is that we're joining with the prophetic word of Habakkuk 2 that says the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And that's why we do what we do, because in our part and portion of the region of the world, we're believing that we're going to shine the glory of Jesus and who Jesus is to the world around us. So this area will glorify Jesus. We're not just believing just for SE18, we're believing for regions beyond. We're believing that we can be seeing the glory of Jesus in, in increasingly in Kathmandu, in, in the east. We're believing for areas of Europe. We're partnering with other churches around Europe. We're connected through Living Fire to churches in Sweden, in Holland, in France, in Germany, in the Faroe Islands. Heaven sees you, this, us as a community, as giants in the faith. As giants in the faith. In fact, the enemy sees us as giants in the faith. And then he said, the only people who don't seem to know how big they are is you. (laughs) And so, God, we pray that... Thank you for the permission that we have to believe great things for our lives and for our region. Thank you, God, that we can come to you with the certainty that you have promised to do great things both in us and through us. Thank you, God, for the wisdom, the revelations, and the solutions and ideas that are coming to us in these days. Thank you, God, that it's not just about what we do as a local church. Thank you for people who are serving in night shelters and and helping with charities that deal with slavery. Thank you, God, for the way people love in their workplace and love their family. Thank you, God, that it's not just the programs that we do. It's us being who you've made us to be and being big everywhere we go. That, God, there is no division between the sacred and the, and, 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 the, and the secular. That, God, everything is to be done unto you. God, whether it's the way we travel on a train, do our shopping, speak to someone from a call centre when they ring at the most inconvenient time, everything is to be done for your glory and for the magnificence and for your fame. That Thank you that for you, Jesus, absolutely everything matters. And thank you that, God, your intention is in, to increasingly turn up the temperature of our revelation of who you are in these days. And we ask you as we finish for eyes to see how heaven sees us, for eyes to see our problems as heaven sees them, for uh, the capacity of trust to grow in our hearts in your name, Jesus. And I ask you, even this week, God, for an increase of encounters with Jesus in the word, as you pray, as you're with him, that he would draw you into a deeper sense of intimacy and confidence in the world that you live. And I, and I just feel that Jesus would just say, be yourself full of me. And be yourself full of me. And it doesn't need to look like anyone else. It needs to look like you full of Jesus. That's all it needs to look like is you following Jesus and full of the Holy Spirit. And and, and whether that's through, I don't know. I'm not going to say what it can be. Just say you be you, full of God and full of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to perform or copy anyone else. But you do carry solutions wherever you go. You do carry overflow wherever you go. You are more effective than you realize.
You're doing more than you realise. God is working a lot more than you realise around you. So we pray, God, eyes to see who we really are. That we would have the spirit of Caleb, who didn't see the giants as those that were going to devour him, but he saw the giants as his opportunity to devour something. So we ask for the spirit of Caleb to be on us. That believing believers who would say, this is our land and we're taking it. This is our community and we want every problem, every difficulty, every battle, every corner of it so that Jesus would be glorified. And Jesus, we're going to do that maybe through partnering with other people. Of course we are. We're not going to do the whole thing on our own, but we've got a portion, we've got a part, we've got a work to get on with. And finally, God, we, we hear you say you're quickening. You hear you say that what took years is going to take months. And we hear you say what took months is going to take weeks. And what took weeks is going to take days. And what took days is going to happen in a matter of moments. And so we, 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 we want to be like the Old Testament guys who dug ditches because the rain was coming. We want to have our mind fixed upon not the problems but the permission and the prophetic strategy of heaven. We've got no time to worry about the problems. God has said, give me everything I want and I'll give you everything I need, or everything you need. So our energy needs to be on digging ditches because the rain is, is here and it's coming. We need to be prepared to build, as it were, a spiritual hospital ready for the men and women who don't know up from down, who are going to need to be discipled to understand who they are in Christ. We want to be ready. So we... We actually change our focus. The spirit of our region is a, is a problem-focused region. It won't work here. There's not enough here, and it doesn't matter here. And so we want to repent of any partnering with a, with a kind of message of our region and turn around from being problem-focused to promise-focused, to put all our energy into building what it is you've called us to build. Yeah, we just believe that God, you've got great plans here and it's already manifesting. And even as we've done this talk, hopefully you can see the great things that are happening already and the great things that are already taking place. And I want to say this as well, that the manifestation is not just through a, through a thing that someone builds, it's through what a person is. And I want to say, just to prophesy that over Gary, you have, you have the gift of the Barnabas encourager. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you have a spiritual gift of encouragement. It's not just what you build and what you do, it's who you are. Yeah. And I'm only taking him as an example so that you, you, you can see, because everybody's got that, and I could, we could go around forever and pull it all out. But there's a spiritual gift, and I heard that today, and I knew, knew it always really, but you did something during the worship and it ignited something. Mm. Just something, something got catalyzed through, through you just by being who you are. Mm. And so we, 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 we say over ourselves, we will not underestimate the dynamic, impacting spiritual reality that we carry into the world around us because we become over-familiar with who we are and we choose to see ourselves as you see us and believe that we are incredibly effective at overflowing. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.